any more of our time uh, on those things. Let's get to our, our speaker today. And I just want to, he doesn't really need much of an introduction, but just in case if, if uh, you don't know. Uh, but uh, our speaker today, like I said, man, is no stranger. Kevin Moore, he has been married to his wife, uh, Veronica, for 25 years. Uh, and he is a, a parent to, to quite a few kids, just like myself. Uh, Jordan, his oldest, is 23, uh, all the way down to Lily, uh, 8 years old. And Kevin has served as a youth pastor for over 22 years at uh, all types of different uh, size churches, volunteer, youth leader, all the way up to being uh, the, the main point youth pastor at a, at a fairly significant uh, mega church out here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, in 2013, he and his family planted the church at Visalia, a great church out there in Southern California. Uh, Kevin is uh, the author of five books, serves as a leadership coach to youth pastors and pastors all over the nation and speaks at conferences all over uh, America and does quite a bit internationally as well. So, Kevin, I don't want to take any of your, more of your time. Uh, so, Kevin, uh, welcome to the table. The, the, the table is yours. Go ahead. Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing? We're doing guys, great, man. All, just so you know, all yeah. the lines are muted until uh, you're done with your, your, your teaching, and then we'll jump into some Q&A. No, that's great. Can, can you hear me okay? I just want to make sure. Yeah, we're, we got you, man. Awesome, cool. Well, hey, today what we want to talk about is, is we want to talk about um, how to build your team. Um, as, as you guys know, you know, being in ministry and in youth ministry specifically, uh, you, can't, you can't do anything on your own. And, and a lot of times as youth pastors, I think, I wouldn't say more than any other, you know, ministry, but probably close to it is is we really feel like that maybe we can. And we, we know that we can't, but inside of us it needs to get done, and so let's just do it ourselves. And so we start doing it ourselves, and I don't know if it's because we like the way we do it or what, but uh, we a lot of times uh, have a hard time building teams and recruiting people and keeping people motivated and keeping them uh, online with us. Uh, for weeks and months and, and even for years. And what we want to talk about today is is, is how to actually uh, not just get people to sign on the dotted line and start to serve, but, but to actually get them serving, keep them serving, inspire them to not only work, but, but to begin to be a leader themselves. And so that's what we want to talk about today is, is, building, is building your team. Um, so the things we want to talk about today are more principle-driven rather than, you know, hey, whenever I was at 180, we did this and this and this and this. Because I think the details of how you do things are going to be different from every uh, church that you're a part of, depending on culture and DNA, what's available, what's not. So what I want to talk about today is, is more the principles behind building a team rather than the different tiny little small nuances. So... So here we go. The first thing in order to, uh, to build a really great team and have people on your team consistently is, number one, is you have to be a leader that's worth following. You have to be someone that people want to actually follow. Um, everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything does. And so because of that, everything in youth ministry is rising and it is falling on your shoulders. And so because of that, 
you have to be someone that other people actually want to lean in on and follow. And so here's a few things that make you a leader worth following. Number one is you have to have your heart in the right place. Your, your heart has to be in the right place. People are pretty intuitive. They, they can see our motives pretty easily. And if our heart's not in the right place, if our heart is in ministry because we like to speak, or if our heart is in ministry because we like to be up front, or if our heart is in ministry because we want to be popular, or we want to have a lot of Twitter followers, or we want to get on the speaking circuit, what begins to happen is, is our heart begins to come out, and those are things that are not uh, attractive to people. Those are not things that are motivating. People don't want to be motivated to help you get on the speaking circuit. They're not going to get motivated to help you make money or get motivated to help you become some great thing. They, want to, they are motivated to help people uh, come to Jesus and to impact young people's lives. And so if your heart is in the place of, I want to bring people to Jesus and help them live like him, then people are going to follow you. But if it's not, man, they're going to, you're not going to be attractive. So number one, your, your heart's got to be in the right place. Number two, to be a leader worth following, is you have to be growing and going somewhere as a leader. You have to be growing, and you've got to be going somewhere. If, if you're not going anywhere, where are you leading people to? In nowhere. So because of that, you as a person, you as a leader, you've got to be on a leadership journey. You've got to be growing yourself. So here's some questions that I filter through pretty much about every six months every year is, am I smarter now than what I was a year ago? Am I more intelligent? Do I know more things about culture, know more things about the will? Am I smarter now than what I was a year ago? Um, do, do I know more scriptures than what I did last year? Uh, am I a better speaker than what I was six months ago? Am I uh, better at delegating and casting vision than what I was last year? Because if, if not, then what happens is if, if, if I'm not smarter, if I'm not growing, if I'm not reading, if I'm not delegating better, if I'm not better than what I was last year, why should anybody follow me? They're not going to. And so I think, first of all, to build a great team, you've got to be a, a leader that's great. You've got to be a leader worth following. You've got to have your heart in the right place. And then secondly, you've got to be growing and going somewhere. And those are some questions that I filter myself through about every six months and also uh, at the end of every year. So that's the first one, be a leader worth following. The second one is, and we're just going to fly through a whole bunch of them, the second one is, is to build your team, you have to have influence. You have to have influence. Um, there's a guy who lived back in the Bible days, other than Jesus, the most, most incredible leader other than Jesus, I think, in all the Bible, and that was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, there was something about him. He had influence. The Apostle Paul, when he walked into a room, when he walked into a city, people realized he was there. Now, not everybody liked him. Not everybody agreed with him. Not everybody wanted him around, but everybody noticed him. Being noticed is influence. And there's something about being around someone who's influential. So what was it, and looking at scriptures, what was it that gave Paul influence? Whenever I look at it, Paul could answer three questions. And by answering these questions, he was more influential than the people around him. Number one, 
is Paul knew who he was. Number two, Paul knew why he was here. And number three, Paul knew where he was going. First of all, Paul knew who he was. When you read the Pauline epistles, almost all of them start off, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. Now, Paul was a tent maker. Paul was very highly educated. Paul had a lot of influential friends. But he never said, hey, I'm Paul, a friend of so-and-so. Hey, I'm Paul. I'm a tent maker. He said, no, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul knew who he was. Secondly, Paul knew why he was here. In 1 Corinthians 9, he wrote, I become all things to all men so that I might win some. Paul said, I know who I am. I'm an apostle. I know why I'm here. I am here to do what I've got to do to win people to Jesus. But then number three, Paul knew where he was going. In Philippians 3, he said, forgetting those things which are behind me, I press on forward to the high calling in Christ. Where am I going? And I'm forgetting about yesterday, and I'm going forward to where God wants me. So Paul knew who he was. Paul knew why he was here. And Paul knew where he was going. And because Paul knew those three things, when he walked into a room, he made a difference. Because he knew why he was in the room. And when you look at MTV, when you look at Nike, when you look at VH1, when you look at Billy Graham, when you look at Alexander the Great, when you look at Jesus Christ, when you look at all of these people that were influential, that were great leaders, all of them from great companies to great leaders, all of them know who they are, why they're here, and where they're going. When you look at Jesus, Jesus knew who he was. I'm the way, the truth, and life. Jesus knew why he was here. I've come to seek and save the lost. Jesus knew where he was going. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am you may be also. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew why he was here. Jesus knew where he was going. And because of that, when Jesus walked into a city, people knew that he was there. So the question to ask yourself, and Jesus didn't have problems with people wanting to follow him. In fact, Jesus turned people away. They said, no, 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 don't, don't tell anybody about me. You go back to the city, you live there and just be quiet. He was turning followers away. Why? Because he had influence. So the question to ask ourselves is, is if you, we want to build a great team, is, is who are you? Who are you? Why are you here? And where are you going? Who are you as a leader? Secondly, who are you as a ministry? Who, who are you as a ministry? Why do you open the doors of your student ministry? And then thirdly, where are you going as a student ministry? Until you can answer those three things as an individual, people people aren't going to follow you. Until you can answer those three things as a ministry, people aren't going to, go to, going to want to jump on, your, on, on the boat with you. So who are you, why are you here, and where are you going? I would really block off some time from now to the first of this next year to discover that about yourself. Wrestle with it. Who are you, why are you here, and where are you going? The third thing about having a, building a great team is is, man, you need to follow your leader well. Follow your leader well. Um, whenever, through the years, um, we've never had the last probably three quarters of our ministry time and youth ministry, we really didn't have too much problems of, of recruiting, training, and equipping, and releasing volunteers um, and I think one of the reasons is, is early on in our ministry, we learned the principle of following our leader well. One time my pastor told me to come to his office and said, hey, um, I got something for you. Man, I thought I'm going to get a raise or I'm going to get, I'm gonna get 
you know, a new office. He's going to give me something good. Well, I walk into pastor's office, and he gives me a paintbrush and a paint can. And I said, Who, who's this for? He said, it's for you. I want you to go out and paint this back, this back, uh, this backstop out in our backyard at the church. And then I, I said fine, and I was okay with it in front of his face. But when I left, man, my attitude sucked. I, I said, I thought to myself, who in the world do you think he's talking to? I'm getting paid to preach, not paint. I can't believe this. And, man, I'm slapping that paint on, and I'm ticked, really ticked, and i got to paint this speaking fence. And so I start to paint the fence. And as I'm painting it, I'm all upset. Who does he think he is? And, and this isn't my paint. This is my pastor's. This ain't my fence. This is my pastor's. This isn't even my job. He's the pastor of the church. This is his thing to do. Then I started realizing, oh, my gosh, this isn't my paint. It's my pastor's. This isn't my fence. It's my pastor's. This isn't my job. It's my pastor's. This isn't my ministry. It's my pastor's ministry. This isn't even my money. It's my pastor's money. He hired me, and he's chosen to give it to me. And then God in his grace, he just, Luke sixteen twelve came to my mind. If you have not been faithful in that which belongs to another man, who will give you those things which are your own? And I started to realize nothing that I have in ministry belongs to me. It all belongs and comes through my senior pastor. So I started to pray for my pastor while I painted with my pastor's paint. And I started to pray for my pastor while I prayed for my pastor's fence. And, man, my heart got in the right place. And I started to go to my pastor and say, Pastor, how can I help you? How can I serve you? What can I do for you? Man, I wasn't brown-nosing him. I was being a serious. How can I help you? And, man, he started giving me all these things. I need you to mow the yard. I need you to take the trash out better. I need you to do this better. I need you to do this. And the more he said, here's what I want you to do, the more I said, how can I help you? And it was the craziest thing. About a year into it, of me saying, how can I help you, pastor? My pastor turned around and started asking me, Kevin, how can I help you? Kevin, would you, you outgrew the youth room. Would, would you like to take over the old church auditorium? I'll give it to you as the youth room. Yes, sir, that'd be fine. Kevin, you, you outgrew that. You used to be a draftsman. Why don't you draw a building and we'll build you a youth building? Would that be okay? That'd be great. Hey, Kevin, how, how can I help you? Would you like a raise? Well, uh, yes, I would. Thank you. And all of a sudden, Kevin, can you, would you like to be the social pastor of the church? Kevin, would you like to speak for me on the weekends? Kevin, would you like a raise? Kevin, would you like this? Kevin, would you like that? And the more I served what, 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 my, what belonged to my senior pastor, the more my senior pastor gave me those things which are my own. And a lot of times we as youth pastors, we get jacked up and, and we, we, don't, we don't have people following us. And one of the reasons is because we're not really following our senior pastor. We're trying to do our own thing, create our own island. He's got his vision. We've got ours. He's got his way of doing things. We've got ours. We know how to do stuff. He really doesn't. We never go to him and say, how can I help you? We just want him to help us. And the Bible says that whatever it is you give, give and it shall be given back unto you. So if I give faithfulness, I'll receive faithfulness from my workers. If I give humility to my senior pastor, I'll get humility from my workers. If I give my time to my senior pastor, I'll have my workers give me time. Whatever it is I give to my senior pastor, my volunteers will give to me. And if I don't serve my pastor well, no one's going to serve me well. And we learned that years and years ago. And it's not that we've had every volunteer we ever needed, but getting volunteers and getting people to follow us wasn't all that hard, really, because we mastered the art of following our leader well. 
Because whatever it is we give is what we'll get. It's a biblical principle that can't be broken. So if you want to build a great team, man, you've got to become a great, great follower. So that would be the third thing I would say on how to build a team. Um, the fourth thing is you've got to capture a vision. No, that, that there's, nothing, there's nothing more important in ministry than, than what, why are you doing this? Why, what's the why behind the why? What's your vision? And here's the thing about vision. The Bible says, of course, where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is no vision, people cast off restraint, people run around. And we, we, we get that. We know the importance of vision. But here's the thing is your vision as a youth ministry has got to, it doesn't have to be the same slogan. I think it's better if it is. But your ministry as a student ministry pastor has got to be in line with and under the auspices of the senior pastor's vision for the church. If it's not, you've got two visions. You've got, you've got two visions in one place, and it's not going to work. So your vision can't be to reach, you know, to be real evangelistic and your pastor's vision is to be real discipleship-driven. You can't be, let's grow giant numbers, and your pastor's all about small groups. You've got to be under the same umbrella. And so you can morph that and twist it in a lot of different ways, but you as a youth pastor have got to align the vision that God's given you under the vision of your senior pastor. You've got to capture that. You've got to, you got to and that brings us to our fifth one, you've got to own it. You've got to own the vision. People want to know, why am I doing this? especially high-capacity leaders. They want, why am I doing this? Why am I here? Why am I flipping hamburgers? Why am I helping the registration? Why am I leading a small group? You, it's up to you to give them the why. You have to capture vision, and, man, you've got to own it. And here's the thing about ownership. You can't legally give something to someone that you don't own. I can't go to you and say, hey, can I borrow your car keys? and then give your car to a friend of mine. Now, I can do that, but it's not a legal transaction, and the car eventually is going to be taken away from that person. So I can't get your car keys and give your car to a friend of mine. But if I buy the car off of you, if I get the money, and now the car is mine, and I own the car, I can give the car to whoever I wish. It's the same with vision. A lot of times we go to a conference, and we hear a slogan from another church, and we like that slogan, and we take that slogan from another church, and we make it ours. And then we want to give that slogan to another person. That's not a real legal transaction. It's not going to stick because I didn't wrestle with it. I didn't purchase it. I didn't, it's not mine. I just like Perry Noble's slogan of uh, helping, you know, save people, serve people. Um, I, I liked someone's slogan that, that they came up with of, of um, um, help, you know, uh, hurting people hurt people, or uh, it's not just about numbers, it's about, what you Perry say, every number has a name, every name has a story, every story matters to God. Yes, that's our vision. No, it's not. That's Perry Noble's vision. And I've got to wrestle with mine. What's my vision? What's the why behind we're doing this? And then once I wrestle with it and I own a vision, then I can give it away to all these volunteers. And your volunteers won't follow you very long if they don't know why they're following you. You can tell them what till they're blue in the face. Till they know why, they're not going to follow you. You've got to capture a vision. You've got to own a vision. And then sixth, the sixth thing is, and I'm not sure how we're doing on time, but so 
if you, you stop me whenever I need to. But the sixth thing is, um, is you need to become a master at communicating this vision. It's not your senior pastor's job to cast the vision of youth ministry to youth workers. It's your job, especially if you're full-time. If you're full-time and your senior pastor is going to continually cast the vision for the student ministry and building the team for you, he should fire you and then take your money because he's doing your job for you. So it's your job to become own the vision and then communicate it. And you gotta, you got to communicate it on a regular basis in three different ways. First of all, one-on-one. Salespeople call it an elevator speech. You've got to come up with a two-minute deal, a two-minute presentation on, 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 on your student ministry and why somebody needs to be on your team. So one-on-one. Secondly is in a small group venue, maybe 10 people, 15 people, a little cluster of people, casting vision. And then thirdly is a large group message, 30 to 40 minutes on 30 to 40 minutes on your student ministry. If your pastor came to you tomorrow and said, I want you to speak this Sunday on student ministry, you should be able to say, I already got the message ready. Let's go. So if you don't have a one-on-one, a small group venue message or a large group message, get one around. Start writing it before it comes. You've got to do those things because it's up to you to communicate the vision. The seventh way to build a team is, man, you've got to master the big five. If you look at your hand right now, of course, you've got four fingers and one thumb. You've got five different fingers. So here we go. Is This is the hand. This is like God's hand wants to reach into the church, grab volunteers, and pull them into the student ministry. So you've got five different things that you've got to master. And first is recruiting. That would be, that would be the thumb, is you've got to recruit people. How do people in your church find out about the student ministry? How do they know that you're looking for help? If, if someone wanted to help you, how would they? What's the process of volunteering? Where do they go to sign up? Do they fill out an application or do they not? Where's the application and how do they get it? Where, when, and how do potential volunteers hear about the vision of ministry? That's all recruiting. And when it comes to recruiting, there's, there's two different types. There's personal and there's corporate. Personal recruiting works best with high-capacity people. You're going to get high-capacity leaders with an invitation. So personal. And that's where your one-on-one speech comes in, your small group speech comes in. And then ask corporately, recruit corporately, whether that would be an announcement from the front that pushes them back to a table, and then you do a VIP kind of a dinner thing and cast a vision and people can sign up. What does this look like? Again, I don't want to get into the nuances of all of this because it's different with every church, but you've got to think through how do you recruit people. After you recruit them, Secondly is you've got to um, equip them. You recruit and then you equip. Um, nothing's worse than it's for a new team member to jump on a team and want to volunteer and then they don't have the tools that they need to get it done. So what is it that your volunteers need, bare minimum, to start volunteering? Do they need a T-shirt? Do you, they get a training CD? Do they, are they out in parking lots so they need a little shiny orange vest and the cones? What, where, okay, so how do they get the T-shirt? Equip them with the T-shirt. You equip them with the CD. You equip them with here's where the tools are. Here's where the stuff is. Here's when we practice. Here's our schedule. Here's what's expected of you. 
equip them with information, inspiration, and the equipment that they need. Inspiration, information, and the equipment that they need. Your, that's your job. You give that to them. And when you recruit them, then you equip them. The third thing that you do is, is man, you've got to train them. Train them. And the best way to train them is, is to slowly release them. And that goes to the fourth one. So you equip, you train, you release. And then the, how, how you do that is, is John Maxwell, I've done this for years, John Maxwell has what I call the Jesus Principle. And it's I do, we do, you do, I watch, and then you do. So if I'm going to have somebody lead a small group, then I'm going to lead the small group at first with them. I'm going to do it, they're going to watch. Week two, we lead it together. Week three, they lead the small group, and I critique them afterward. Week four, they start leading the small group. I don't just hand somebody a small group and say, have at it. No, we train them. We slowly release them. So you I do it, we do it, you do, I watch, and then you do. So you equip, you, excuse me, you recruit, you equip, you train, you release, and then lastly is you've got to learn how to reward them. And reward them on a regular basis. Is re, and you reward people with thank yous, thank yous, thank yous. That's how you reward people. Thank them with a handwritten card. I Handwritten thank yous are 50 times better than a text, thank you. There's something about it. I, through the years, I've gone to so many of my volunteers' houses, and there's my little thank you note up on the refrigerator right beside the kid's report card. Thank you notes. Thank you text. When you're around somebody and your volunteer comes up, brag on them. Hey, listen, man, this person runs our cafe. They are incredible. Thank you for what you do. Say thank you in front of other people. And then thank you with a gift. Thank you with a gift card. Thank you with, uh, you know, maybe they like chocolates. Maybe they're, they give them tickets to a movie, maybe whatever it might be. But thank them verbally and then thank them with gifts, financial things to say to us. We really appreciate you. So here's a few growth questions to just kind of throw out there at the ending of our time and we'll do some Q&A, I guess, is what areas do you need to work on in order to be a leader that others will follow? What are those areas? Secondly is, do you follow your leader well? I'm telling you, this is one of the most basic but most powerful team-building principles on planet Earth, to follow your leader well. Do you follow your leader well? And if you don't, be honest with yourself. Of course, correct. Number three is how often do you find yourself speaking negative about your leader? Is it, is it commonplace even with your spouse? If so, man, think those things through. Fourth, is influence. Who are you? Why are you here? And where are you going? Can you answer that question right now? Fifth question. What is your ministry's vision? And can you share it effectively? What's your ministry's vision? Can you share it effectively? Then the seventh is have you mastered the big five? What is your system for recruiting? How do you release? How do you train? How do you reward? Do you have systems set up for this? Because if you do, I'm telling you, if, if you'll just simply be a leader worth following, you don't have to be the best leader. Well, just be someone who's growing and people are going to be following you. Be a leader worth following. Follow your leader well. Grab a hold of a vision and then master the big five. 
equip, train, excuse me, recruit, equip, train, release, reward. I keep getting that jacked up. If you'll just do those five things, I'm telling you, man, you will get volunteers. There are people in your church right now that want to serve you. Do they look like you want them to look? Probably not. Do they act like you want them to act right now? Probably not. But here's the thing. I'm going to close with this statement. Paul said to Timothy, he said, he said, Timothy, these things that I have given unto you, give thou to faithful men who shall be able to reach others also. What you're trying to find is, is you're looking for shall be, shall be able. And I'm always looking for shall be. People who, number one, shall be able to reach others also now. People who've got the skill set, they've got the calling, they are primed and ready. They shall be able to do it this week. But then there's a whole other group of people in society and in your church right now who shall be able to in the future. But you've got to train them. They shall be able to now or they shall be able to once they get this addiction taken care of. We'll help them get the addiction taken care of. They shall be able to once they become a better leader. Well, don't wait on that to happen. You make them a better leader. Your church right now is full of a person named Shalby. They shall be able to now, or they shall be able to if you help them. Either way, you're the leader. Get it done. They're in your church. They're in your church. So that to me, um, I, I've, I've served in a church in a town of 4,000. I've served at a church of 10,000 people. We used to say at Fitz on the Move, we're not a big church, we're a small town. And I've been in small churches and I've been in mega churches. And in both settings, we had the volunteers that we needed. And how we got them is, is we, we did these six or seven things. So that's my little uh, rant on uh, how to build your team. Kevin, that was awesome, man. <clears throat> I know there's a lot of nuggets in there for us to chew on. Uh, guys, I'm going to turn it over to question and answer time uh, right now. But, Kevin, uh, once we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, some of your upcoming things. I know you've got uh, some conferences coming up, some training, things like that, and some coaching opportunities, things like that. So uh, let's go ahead and turn this over and then have you talk about that. So, Kevin, why don't you go ahead and just talk to us a little bit about uh, some of the stuff going on. If you guys want to uh, jump in the queue for a uh, question and answer, just hit star six there, and uh, you'll get into the queue, and we'll get to some of these questions as, uh, as soon as we can. But Kevin, why don't you just tell us a little bit about some of the things coming up, your conference, some coaching opportunities, things like that. Oh, sorry. Let me – got to unmute you first. Hold on. All right, there you go. Kevin, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about okay. conferences and things like that. Um, in February, we're going to be doing a conference. Uh, we're just simply going to be called GROW. It's GROW Church uh, Conference. And um, it will be at, at the last uh, Saturday uh, in February, and we'll be getting the information out about that. But the biggest thing is, is two things. Is I actually have written a six-month growth curriculum for youth pastors, and you can find out more about it. It's at GROW MORE, like my last name, M-O-O-R-E, growmore.tv forward slash build. If you go to growmore.tv forward slash build, it talks you how to build your team, build messages, um, build big momentum, build bridges to parents, all the things you've got to do. There's messages in there, and artwork, and you can go there and check that out. It's basically like 22 years of ministry all in this big old thing that we wrote, and it downloads right to your computer. And then the second one is, is I do – 
one-on-one coaching with youth pastors. And if you want to find out about that, all you got to do is just email me at growmore, again, like my last name, G-R-O-W-M-O-O-R-E, at gmail.com, and I can get you that info. So there is a conference coming out, but that's quite a ways out. The biggest one is build. I think that could help a lot of guys and gals. And second one is, is one-on-one coaching. I'd love to serve you however I can. That's great. Uh, I know there's a couple guys on the line here that are volunteer youth pastors. They're not uh, quite full-time. Maybe they're getting a little yeah. bit of a stipend, getting a, uh, you know, a, a gift card to Taco Bell every once in a while. But what, why don't you speak to that a little bit? Um, some of these guys that don't have yeah. you know, that full-time opportunity, why don't you speak to some of those uh, volunteer guys? Yeah, I was a, youth, a volunteer youth pastor from 1992 to 2000. And uh, absolutely loved it. I was a draftsman full-time, and then I did ministry full-time. But I didn't get a dime. In fact, we paid for our own trips, like typical, you know, uh, volunteer youth guys do. So here's a couple tips, that, a couple things that we did, is treat, even though you're a volunteer, schedule yourself out and treat it mentally as if you're full-time. Don't make excuses of, I can't do this because I'm a volunteer. You can't do everything, that's for sure. But you can do the things you need to do. Things like um, doing a great message every week. Uh, things like following up every week. Things like team building. If you just focus on those three things, I want every week we're going to do an incredible message. Every week we're going to follow up with young people, core people, people who are saved and people who are visitors. And every single month I'm going to train and build a good team. You can do those three things. Now, can you do school lunch visits during the day? No, probably not. Can you do uh, an unbelievable website? I don't know, maybe, but maybe not. But here's what I found. Some of the things that we focus on in ministry that uh, we take up so much of our full time, really it's, it's almost kind of wasted time. When it comes down to it, if you can do a great message every week, you can follow up great every week, and you can build a good team, you can do great youth ministry. So bracket, some, let's put some time slots in your schedule whether it's Wednesdays or every Thursday night's a work night or Saturdays from 8 to noon or whatever it might be, bracket your schedule out as if you were full-time. Make this as if I'm working now. These are my working hours. And work on the three to five things that you can do. One of the greatest failures that we do in leaders, leadership is we're always focusing on what we can't do. No, focus on what you can and if you just simply do what you can do, that's all God's expecting from you. It's, it's just do what you can do. And I found that when I was a volunteer guy, great message, great follow-up, and great leadership training. Those three, man, we can get the job done. That's awesome. Just a reminder, guys, if you've got a question, go ahead and hit uh, star six, and uh, they'll, they'll get you in, in there. Uh, so we got uh, a question coming up right here. So I believe this is Cameron. Why don't you uh, go ahead and jump in? Welcome to the call, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Kevin, I just got to say thank you so much for your time. A lot of really, really good stuff that you said. My, my question is, uh, for me personally, uh, I'm 22 years old, and so a lot of a lot of the adults that I'm trying to recruit into my ministry and my team are, most of them are a lot older than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, I've kind of seen a, a shift to where a lot of my leaders are younger, uh, but man, I, I know the, uh, the impact and the wisdom that an older leader can bring to uh, the youth ministry. So 
maybe just some tips on on how to uh, lead the older leaders, even though I'm I'm younger than than them, uh, and presenting myself as somebody worth leading. Yeah, the first the first thing that you got going for you is is what you already said is that you realize the value of having people who are older than you in ministry. A lot of young, I'll say a lot, many young guys and gals that are young, they feel like, oh, I, I got this figured out. We just want to have a bunch of young bucks and 20-somethings will run the youth. And, and that's a real failure because there is a lot of things that you can learn from older people. So I think first of all is that I would say is to understand the value that they bring and don't devalue them simply because they're older. But you've already got that one. So kudos to you for that. That's great. The second one is is um, be admitted to them. Be, be open to it. Hey, um, you know what? You've been down the road farther than I have. I'm not a parent of a teenager, but you are. And, man, I sure could use your wisdom on this. And use the fact that they are older. Use the fact that they are more seasoned. Use that to your advantage by going to them and saying, hey, um, could I, you know, you do have a teenager. I don't. You do run a business. I don't run a business, but I do run a student ministry. I could use some tips. I could use a guy like you on my team. And so use the fact that they're more seasoned. Be open and admit I don't have a child yet. I don't have a teenager yet. I've never ran a business. Um, I've never, you know, I don't know if you're married or not, but I've never been married. You have. Teenagers need what you've got, and let them know that. Hey, teenagers need this. I need this. And use that as a recruiting tool, the fact that you are so young. Admit that you are green to them, and I need some seasoned veterans. You're a veteran. Could you come and help me? That's going to instantly go right to their pride, and you can kind of use that as a way to pull them into the group. The, the third thing I would say is carry yourself, not in age older, but when you're around adults, carry yourself in an adult-like manner. Be business-minded. Be leadership-minded. The, 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 word, the words that you use, the way that you dress, the way that you act, Use, do things physically to uh, relate to the crew that you're trying to be in front of, that you're trying to reach. So for teenagers, you're going to morph and change a little bit. You're going to be yourself, but you're going to be, you know, plus because you're so young, you're easily going to get into that teenage world. But a mom and dad and a businessman, they don't care how cool you are. They want to know about the vision. They want to know, does he handle money well? They want to know, you know, what's the steps of leadership growth? They want to know where is he taking the ministry. So as you're talking to them, be open that you are green and you need their help, but also be very open to the fact, I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. And because of that, I need you on my team. Be a leader of leaders around them, not just a cool youth guy. Talk to adults in the church on Sundays more than you talk to students. You've already got the students. Talk to moms and dads. Talk to business owners. Don't shy away from it because you're young. So those would be the probably the three or four things I'd say. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kevin. It's great. Yeah, man. Thanks, Cameron. All right, let's go to our next one, 337 area code. Hey, uh, thanks, Kevin. Thank you so much, man, for today. It's been uh, super, super helpful. Um, my question is, uh, can you hear me? 
Yep. Yeah, we got you. Okay, so uh, my question is, um, as it relates to um, vision and communicating vision to student ministry, uh, I just started um, as a student pastor here in March uh, at a uh, successful church in, in our area, um, and student ministry has always been looked at um, for the last you know, decade or so as, as kind of that church within a church kind of structure, um, and just recently kind of under um, – kind of under my pastor's leadership and, and mine as well, is our desire is for the student ministry to just fall right underneath what the pastor's doing because we've seen a big drop-off when a student graduates high school. They kind of don't – they disappear through their college, young adult age, and then they start having kids, and then they're like, oh, well, we need to get back to church. Yep. So we're trying to get our students to um, to connect the dots and go from student ministry to the main auditorium um, and feel like they have a place to serve. Um, but we're, we're trying to navigate our way through the fog on this situation, knowing that it's important, but also trying to uh, get rid of the stigma that we're a church within a church. And so uh, just any advice as it relates to that transition for us? Um, we've got vision. Uh, we've got all those things, but it's still been somewhat of a foggy area in that the majority of my students don't even attend here on a Sunday morning, and the majority of the Sunday morning people, you know, they find a reason not to come on Wednesday. So it it still has, as it, as it relates to um, demographic and people attending a church within a church structure, um, mm-hmm. but we're trying to bring that vision. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but just... No, you are. Yeah. Okay. So just any wisdom you have on that, man. Well, a couple things is, is the bridge, there's a lot of things. First of all, I would say is as you're making the transition from one to the other, is don't despise the days of small beginnings, number one. And in that, don't count success or failure. So let's say like you're going to start some sort of a young adult's venue. And it may not be a service. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's a once-a-month leadership thing. Maybe it's a whatever it might be. Don't gauge success or failure on how many young adults show up to it because you're just starting out. It's a baby. It's going to be small. It's okay. And I think what happens a lot of times, especially with successful churches, generally when you say successful, the, the, the numbers are there. Uh, so what happens is, is we gauge it's not working because there's only 15 people there. But it is working for those 15. So don't, don't know, that, know that you're getting something started. So it's not going to go from zero to 100 or zero to hundreds instantly. It's, it's going to go slow. That's okay. Say yes to the concept and then, then work the concept out until you get a victory. So that would be the first thing. Don't despise the day the small begins. It's going to turn, but it's going to turn slowly, but I'm committed to it. You've you got to be committed to it even if the numbers aren't there. That's the Because if not, we'll go back and do what gets big numbers. So if you know this is an issue, which it is across the nation, you, you guys stay yes to the concept. So, so stick it through no matter what the numbers are. Just tweak it and change it until, until it gets a win. That would be, that'd be the first one. And the second one is, is as it pertains to young people, you know, who are 6th grade, 8th grade, all the way through 12th grade, the bridge to getting them to come to church on Sunday uh, is mom and dad. And we all know that, but if mom and dad don't come to our church and mom and dad are ungodly or mom and dad are this, that, and the other, they're not interested, it's hard to build that bridge, and, and it is. But some things that we've done through the years to try and build the bridge to get families to come on Sundays, which then 
increases the ability for them to keep coming whenever they're older uh, is to build a bridge to mom and dad. One of the greatest things we ever did, I know it's so simple, man, it, it made an impact, is every first-time visitor, uh, every first-time visitor, uh, we got their information from their mom, of their parents' phone on the form that they filled out to come into the room, so be, uh, the building. So because of that, every Thursday I personally would call mom or dad on the phone and thank them for allowing us to come, and if I can serve you in any way, let us know. I'm telling you, we had people and families start coming to our church simply because of that phone call. Secondly is do parenting series at your church. And when you do a parenting series at your church, you as the youth pastor really jump on board and try and you advertise it not to the teenagers because they don't care, but you've got the information to mom and dad. You advertise that parenting series to their parent, which is then going to get that parent. My teenager's driving me crazy. I need some help. Yes, I'll show up for this series. Or maybe do a parenting conference and gear it towards unchurched more than church. But start building bridges through phone calls, through parenting series, through parenting nights uh, at your youth group where you're answering tough questions about homosexuality or drugs or tattoos or whatever, and start building that bridge to parents. And if you do that, again, we'll think it's failure. We only had seven parents show up. That's not a failure. It's not a failure of those seven parents. Those seven parents don't care if there's 7,000 or if there's seven. What they care about is, did you help me? And a lot of times we'll do something, we'll do a parent night, and only six parents show up, so we say, oh, we're not going to do a parent night anymore. No, it was a win for those six. Next year, let's get 20. So you've got to be solid in your, you're going to fight this thing through. So start doing stuff for parents, and then start connecting the dots to, to uh, college kids. But I would say this, you've got to be so committed to this that you start down to where you're really trying to get it going about that sophomore year. I'm not saying it's too late for your 11th and 12th graders now. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you're not going to get large numbers of them. You've got to start building something in that 8th, 9th, and 10th grade age with parents, 8th, 9th, and 10th graders, getting them involved in leadership, 8th, 9th, and 10th graders. So that way in two years you've turned the ship around. So you've got to be committed enough to where you're really doing things DNA-wise for this younger crew so that in one or two years the ship's kind of turned. But if you try and do it just like this year with your 12th graders, you, you probably, you know, you, I don't know that you'll turn it that quick. So I, don't, I know there's a lot of things to talk about, but those are a few. Is be, don't, don't let numbers dictate your victory. Start building bridges to parents through phone calls, parent series, parent conferences. Um, and, and then I would start with the younger crew and start to build that DNA in them and know this is going to be a couple years, and, I, and we're okay with that. Yeah, thank you so much, man. That's helpful. You bet, bud. Thank you. All right, great. Let's go to our next uh, caller, uh, 310 area code. <clears throat> hey, hey, Ryan. Um, sorry, yeah. Uh, so earlier in um, – when you first started speaking, you said that one of the questions you asked yourself is, like, do I know more scripture than I did a year ago? And mm-hmm. I know that this is, like, a very – like these are, like, ABCs of loving Jesus, but I was just wondering, like, um, how you stay committed and excited to learning and knowing more scripture. Yeah. Well, I think 
here's the thing. I'll just be real transparent. <clears throat> Whenever I was younger in ministry, yeah. I was hungry to become a great leader. So I read leadership books. I, I mean, I read everything you could read. It was crazy. But I wasn't, just being honest, I wasn't completely hungry for God's word. Yeah. And I fed myself and I grew in leadership, X, Y, Z, and, you know, X's and O's, but I wasn't necessarily growing in understanding and learning how to exegete, you know, passages properly. As yeah. I've gotten older in ministry and in my walk with Jesus, I've gotten hungry to know Jesus. And to know Jesus, I've got to know his word. And so how I stay hungry is, is man, it's all for me, my favorite food is pizza. If I eat a piece of pizza, I'm not going to just want one. I'll want two and I'll want three, and then I'll also want pizza that night. The more pizza I eat, the more pizza I want. And it's the same yeah. way with God. Is I got, I've fallen in love with Jesus, which drives me to his word. And the more I read his word and the more I study on, you know, how to, how to cross-reference and, and, and how to properly read the Bible, it just sets a fire inside of me. I want to get up again and do it the next day. So a few things that I do is, is I set some time aside every single day. And I'll be honest, it's not always in the morning, and it's not always at night, and it's not always at lunch, but it's one of those three. It's either morning, night, or lunch. This isn't my – and I'm not talking about message prep. I'm just talking about me, reading in the Word. And I set some time aside every single day on how to – and reading God's Word and studying God's Word. And then also is I've started reading books on – how to read the Bible better, understand it better. I'm taking the hermeneutics course. Um, even after 20-some years in ministry, I'm studying hermeneutics. And, and as I'm studying it, it's like, dang, I don't know. Ding-dong, man, I don't know anything. i got to start reading the Bible more. And it makes me want to go deeper. So number one is you've got to be hungry for Jesus, not hungry for ministry, not hungry for butts in the seats, not hungry for volunteers, hungry for Jesus. And when you are, it'll drive you to his word. Once you start reading the word and learning through hermeneutics or learning through books on how to actually read the Bible, it'll set a fire inside of you. You'll just want to do more. So to me, falling in love with Jesus has helped me drive me to the word. And then every day, either morning, lunch, or nighttime, I just get away and read the word. At the same time, studying on how to study the Bible better. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, bud. Well, you guys, it's 11 o'clock. We've got a couple more questions uh, in line, but uh, just wanted to uh, say thanks for joining us. Uh, Kevin, you got a couple more minutes to stick on for a couple more questions? Yes, sir. I can do a couple more. Okay. Just wanted to remind you guys we've got uh, our VSL preview day coming up next week, next Wednesday. Love to have you guys sign up for that. November 19th, we also have our video online uh, preview day as well. And uh, remember, next month, November 19th, will be our call with Carlos Whitaker. And love for you guys to get some more information about the 20 uh, conference coming up. You get that at bethe20.com. So, Kevin, let's jump back into uh, some questions here. Uh, I think uh, our next one is ready to go at uh, 405 area code. Five area code. Or no, that's, that's, uh, that's not the next one. Who's up? Who's up? Seven seven five area code. 
Is your line muted? All right, let's try uh, this next one. Hello? 619, yeah, go ahead. Hey, Kevin, thank you for uh, taking your time and uh, speaking with us. It was really, really good uh, knowledge that you poured out. I appreciate it. Um, my question, uh, my question is, is uh, student leaders, um, raising them up, uh, doing the transition from student leadership to actually being a leader in the youth group, uh, do you recommend a time that they leave the youth group, or is it smart to train them up and then put them in once they become 18? Um, what, what are your thoughts and opinions on that? Um, train them up, keep them if you can, for sure. I, and, and, and I think, um, yeah, keep them. If at all possible, keep them. Don't, don't make them leave the youth group. I mean, here's the thing. You know, if, they, if they're coming to youth group at 18, 19, 20, 22 years old to get, and again, they're hopefully they'll enjoy the service, but to get fed themselves or to keep macking on younger girls, yeah, they, they, they move on down the road. I'm not saying keep attendees coming, but if you can train, okay, like my daughter, Michaela, she's 16. Well, she is extremely involved in children's ministry, writes, writes some of the curriculum, dramas, the puppet sketches, she's incredible at 16. Well, we're now yeah. transitioning her to be for youth. Well, when she gets in youth, she's only got a couple more years of youth, but when she gets in youth, I don't, I'm not going to kick her out of youth group. I want to have her run it. She's going to help run youth and run small groups. I want 18, 19, 20-year-olds to run things for us. And so I would say keep them, train them young, give them positions of authority, transition them from a worker to a leader, by that time, they're 17 years old, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. They're thinking like a leader. Don't make them lead the youth group. Turn them around and let them be the youth group. They're now leading it, and uh, they've got a vested interest into it. And whether that looks like, you know, uh, sending them, uh, you know, if your church doesn't do a leadership training thing or they can't afford to go to a, a giant Bible could send them to VSL or send them to other places that are training up leaders, Yes, send them away, but send them away with the idea you're going away because we're bringing you back. Don't, <laughs> don't let them go. If you've got a great leader, don't let them go. Keep them, train them, and, and start young. Start young. Let them help in kids' church. Let the high schoolers help in junior high, and then let the college-age kids run the whole thing. Keep them. But they, here's the thing. They're perfect. They won't, they won't stay. They won't stay unless you give them a reason to. So you you got to give them a reason to, and that reason is is I'm making a difference. I'm I'm a leader. So you've got to. That's up to you. You you've got to keep that. You got to give them that platform of, of leading and serving. If you don't, they're going. They're just going to jet. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, bud. All right, let's come back right. to uh, 775 Erico. Maybe we can get you this time. Hey, what's up, Kevin Moore? It's Dustin McLean. Thanks, man, so oh, much for all up, you do. Hey, I know that. Hey, I just got a quick question. Dustin, just to Dustin I would have known you really if you quick didn't even say anything. Um, say it again? I would have known you if you wouldn't even have said your name. I know you got that voice anyway, man. <laughs> that voice, huh? <laughs> yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, hey, man, I, I just want to say it's awesome that you've been married for 25 years. And just as a, a young cat in ministry, uh, married for almost four years with a little girl that's two years old, um, what are three tips that you um, can give us married fellows on staying married, on being an incredible dad? Um, what are some things that we can we can learn from you? You gotta have the. You gotta have, first of all. You gotta have the right filter for a win. What 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 is a win for you? Oh, and a win, a win at the end of the day and at the end of your life is not going to be how many kids you had on Wednesday night. It's not going to be, you know, what big event you did, and it's it's just not, you know. So every day you've got to have the right filter, and you, your filter is going to be different. But for me, my filters of success are basically. My filters for success are basically this, is at the end of every day I ask myself three questions. Number one, does my wife Veronica know that she's loved and that she can trust me? Number two, was I the daddy to my four children that they needed? Not maybe that they wanted. I didn't buy them a car today. Was I the dad they needed? And then number three, did I do something to make God smile? And, I, dude, I ask myself that every day, and that's my filter. Does Veronica, can, can Veronica trust me? Does she know? That, did I do things today to prove to her that I love her? Did, was I a daddy to my kids that they needed, and did I make God smile? That's success. The, the ebbs and flows of ministry, budgets and finances and buildings and butts in the seats, that's going to come and go. But at the end of the day, at the end of my life, those are the things I'm going to think about. Eternity with God, my four children, and my wife. So if that's what I'm going to be thinking about at the end of my life, that's what I should be thinking about every day. And so that's, that's my filter. The second the thing would be is don't push your wife away from being your, your partner in life and in ministry. Allow her to let whatever role she wants to play in the church, let her play it. And if it's none, if it's none, great, that's fine. Great, if that's it's a bunch, fine. that's fine bunch, too. That's fine. But let her let be your partner in it. Don't move forward in things unless there's peace at the house. Uh, don't don't make major decisions if you're not letting her and be involved in them. Let her be a piece of this puzzle, and but also let her define what it is. And the third one is, and this is a piece of advice that Perry gave Perry Noble gave me one time, is he said. He said, Kevin, especially when you're planting a church, he said, you've got to let your wife know and your church people know that you are married to your wife. You are not married to the church. And also, your wife is your wife. She's not married to the church. She doesn't belong to the church. She belongs to you. And that was great advice, especially when we got into church planting, is learning man. I'm married to Veronica. I am not married to the church. Because, Bud, you know, and you're, you're tearing it up where you are, and you're going to be there for years and years, and God only knows what's going to happen with you right there where you are in life and ministry. But I'm telling you, in, in six years from now, you're not going to remember what you did this Thursday. It's at the church. But six years from now, if you do something amazing with your wife and amazing with your, your, your little girl, you're always going to remember it. So stay married to your wife. Don't marry the church. The church is, is awesome. It's amazing. it's amazing ministry, but it's the horrible thing to be married to. It will spit you out. Your wife, she's going to be there forever. 
Those would be those would be my three. Those would be my three. Cool, man. Thanks a bunch. I appreciate that. Yeah, buddy. Talk to you soon, man. Talk to you soon, man. Yes, sir. Well, hey guys, that about uh, wraps up uh, the the question and answers. Uh, Kevin, any last thoughts for us as uh, as we kind of wrap up here? No, I w- no, not really. But I, well, I would just say this. I would say um, understand that God's never going to ask you to do something that He's not going to equip you to do. There's volunteers in your church, and if there, there's volunteers in your community, and He put you there, so be aggressive. Capture vision, relay that vision, follow your leader well, set up good systems, and whether it's five leaders or 50, don't despise the days of small beginnings and, and just work it through because you're, you are in the right place and you are the right person and God's got the right people for you. That's awesome, man. So uh, encouraged by what you've uh, shared with us today. And, man, I know my uh, my notes are all over the place and, and packed, man. So I'm already getting text messages about how uh, how beneficial this was to guys. So, Kevin, man, really, really appreciate your time. Thankful uh, for you uh, getting on or, uh, so early. Uh, I know a couple hours uh, behind there. Uh, so appreciate it so much, man. I uh, look forward to hanging out. Just a reminder, guys, uh, next month, uh, November 19th, it'll be the third Thursday uh, because of Thanksgiving. So uh, make sure to mark your calendars for that. Thank you guys so much for, for joining.